one thing that I cannot do, and that is present the lesson like uh, Brother Walker did here so splendidly a few moments ago. Regeneration is only mentioned twice in the Bible or in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 19 and verse 28 where the, uh, Jesus said to the apostles, You that have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall set upon his throne, ye shall set upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And also in Titus 3 and verse 5, where Paul said, Not the works of righteousness, which we do ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Regeneration literally means to be born again. Man was born physically whenever he was born in this world. But he degenerated. Man went into sin when he was entered into this world. He was holy and upright. And Ezekiel, the 28th chapter in verse 15, God said to the wicked king of Tyre, Thou was holy and upright from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So man is holy. Man is all right until he degenerates, until he goes into sin. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter and verse 6, the Bible says, We have all like sheep gone astray. Ye every one into his own way, and Jehovah's place, the iniquities of us all upon him. Man then has gone astray, man has sinned, and as a result of which he needs to be born again, or he needs to be regenerated. In John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, and the Spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. In other words, it's in a man that must be changed. The divine principle, then, of regeneration is to change in a man. He must be regenerated. He must be changed. He must be born again. When one has been regenerated, then he has been uh, sanctified. He's been redeemed. He's been saved. He's been uh, justified. Someone said to me just a few moments ago, said, isn't it pretty hard to follow brethren who have just spoken on uh, the subject of justification and also sanctification? Well, that may pose a small problem, but still, we have a little bit more to say about it. And man still must be uh, regenerated. And that's observed that when a person is uh, regenerated, that he is saved, he's redeemed, he's sanctified, and he's justified in Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Paul said, In whom we have redemption to his blood, even the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. In John, the 17th chapter and verse 17, Jesus said, To sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then another passage, uh, which has already been referred to this afternoon, in 1 Timothy, or 1 Corinthians, rather, the 6th chapter, beginning with verse 9, where that the apostle Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor feminists, nor abusers themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But ye were sanctified. But ye were uh, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. 
Now one is regenerated or born again by the word of God. And first Peter, the first chapter beginning with verse 22, Peter said, She and you have purified your souls through the obedience to the truth of the unfeigned love of the brethren. Love one another from the heart perfectly, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God which liveth in a body. I'd like for you to keep in mind the particular pastoral scripture, and that is a fact that we are born again by the word of God. Now, the principle of regeneration was in the mind of God back in the Garden of Eden. Whenever God Almighty placed a curse upon the serpent, upon the woman, and upon the man, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, we read where that uh, God said to the serpent, that um, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. That was the first promise of the coming of our Lord into this world. Furthermore, God had it in his mind back there in the Old Testament to give us a new covenant, by which our sin would be blotted out and by which the inner man would be changed. Back in Jeremiah, the 31st chapter in verse 34, God said that I will forgive them of their iniquities and their sins will I remember no more. Also again in Titus 3 and verse 5, where Paul said, Not the works of righteousness, which we do ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now the time of regeneration is now. The time or future whenever Jesus was speaking to the apostles in Matthew, the 19th chapter in verse 28, when he said, You that have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall set upon his throne, you shall set upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The uh, time of regeneration was future. Therefore, the crucifixion of our Lord, but is not uh, uh, future now. Because Paul said to Titus, that not by works of righteousness, which we do ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so people are regenerated, or they're born again by the word of God, as we read a few moments ago in First uh, Peter 1, beginning with verse 22, when he said, Seeing you have purified your souls through the obedience to the truth of the unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another more fervently, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God which liveth in a mighty. There is a very prominent doctrine in the world today that man is not born again until the resurrection. The first time that I met that was back in 1944 when I baptized a man who was a member of, I believe, the First Day Adventist Church. And they have the idea, and along with many other, Armstrong has that idea. If any of you have listened to him, he preaches that a person is really not born again until the resurrection. But after this life, then we're going to meet the judgment. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27, the Bible says, It's born a man wants to die, and then the judgment. Now the question comes next is, how is one regenerated? First of all, I'd like to suggest to you that regeneration is not miraculous. Some of you may have the idea, well, now there's no use of your spending any time uh, trying to prove or try to, trying to show that regeneration is not miraculous. Well, there was a very prominent preacher among us, and I have heard him on three different lectureships in our colleges. In fact, he used to be very much in demand. And in one of these lectures, I heard him say that, brethren are saying that the days of miracles are over. But then he turned and pointed to the baptistry, and he said that every time a person is baptized, that that's a miracle. At that time, I was living in Calhoun County, Alabama. 
As I was a young preacher who was attending that particular lectureship, and he came down to Calhoun County for a gospel meeting, and I attended this gospel meeting on attitude, and he made exactly the same statement. He said that every time a person is born, as a, a, a baptized or born again, that that is a miracle. That is not the case. These brethren do not have the proper concept of the way the Holy Spirit works. God has two laws. One is the natural law, and we were born the first time by the natural law. Just like Elihu said in the book of Job, that the Spirit of God made me. Well, how did the Spirit of God make Elihu? He made him just like he did the rest of us. He made him through the law of procreation. Well, now then, when a person is born again, how is he born again? Is it miraculous? No. It is by the Word of God. In other words, it's by God's spiritual law. God has two laws, and he works, he can, the Holy Spirit can work through either one of them. Well, I do not deny that the Holy Spirit was involved whenever we came in this world, but uh, not any of us will say that whenever we were born that uh, our miracle was performed. Well, that is not the case. In other words, that's according to God's natural law. And uh, so it is whenever a person is born again, it's according to God's spiritual law. And we need to keep in mind, then, of the difference between that which is miraculous and that which is non-miraculous. In other words, uh, uh, the Spirit has a part in uh, the new birth. There's no question about that. And uh, First Peter, but how does the Spirit operate? He operates through the Word. In First Peter 1, beginning with verse 22, Peter said, Seeing you have purified your souls through the obedience of the truth on the unclean level of the brethren. Love one another from the heart perfectly, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which liveth and abideth. And so then we are born again by the word of God. And without the word of God, there is no such thing as uh, the new birth. In Romans 8, verse 14, Paul said, For as men as are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. Well, how does the Spirit of God lead us? The Spirit of God leads us by the word. And that's the way we are born again, or regenerated, it's by the Word of God. Oftentimes, people apparently do not understand uh, John, the third chapter. I'm assuming that most of you do, but we're going to refer to it just in case that some of you do not understand it. Why, John, the third chapter, I think, is relatively simple. Whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he said, We know the child of teacher comes from God, for no man can do these works that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yet Nicodemus didn't understand that. He said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time? Does mother's womb be born? And Jesus had to explain it to him. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the two uh, elements in this new birth. The spirit has a part. That's the leading agent. Romans 8, 8 and, uh, verse 14. As men is led by the spirit of God, the son of God. And then water has a part. And the part that water plays is baptism. And then Jesus said, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. And then in verse 3, he said, The wind bloweth where it lifteth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But knoweth not from whence it cometh, or whether it goeth, so is everyone who is born in the Spirit. Well, what's he talking about? Well, just as the wind blows, you do not see the wind. You can see the rustling of uh, the leaves. 
And you can hear the wind, perhaps it may whistle around the corner of the house, but you do not see the wind. And likewise, when a person is born again, when then a man is changed, whenever he's been regenerated, you do not see the Spirit of God as it's translated from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. But you can see the effects of it. Here's a man who is mean to his family. Maybe he's a drunkard. Maybe he's an adulterer. Maybe he beat his dash. But he heard the gospel of Christ. He obeyed that form of doctrine from the heart. And then we arose from waters of baptism. He started being good to his family. He started paying his debts. He attended church. He quit committing, uh, committing adultery. That was a change that took place. So it is with the new birth. How many times did John 3 and verse 8 been quoted by preachers and they'd say, well, now you can see from this verse that the new birth is something that's got a felt and told. That's not the case. Jesus was just explaining that there is something there that is invisible. You do not see the Spirit as just translated from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, but you can see the effects of it. And that's something that we need to keep in mind in uh, trying to teach people the truth along these lines. Now, regeneration um, is uh, the new birth when one is washed in the water with the word. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, and the Spirit he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. And in Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 6, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having sent it through the washing of water with the word. In other words, a person has not been regenerated or born again until he has been baptized, until he's been washed by the word. That is the way the word teaches a person to be baptized. When I was over at Mercy University and was in a conversation, well, one of the preachers on the campus, he said, well, if I believe that baptism was essential, like you do, I just hog-tie people and drag them to the creek, baptize them. Well, they wouldn't be bad. Uh, they would not have been baptized according to the word, you see. And that wouldn't have done them any good. So then a person must obey the word in order for baptism to be any good. In fact, Titus 3 and verse 5, whenever Paul said, not the works of righteousness which we do ourselves, but according to his mercy, saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, there's a washing that goes along with regeneration, and that's talking about baptism. The person's body then must be washed in order for him to be regenerated, and that's sort of like the word teaches. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching in Acts 2, beginning with verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Jesus and Lord that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they that heard this were picked in their hearts and cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children, and unto all them that are far off, even as men as the Lord of our God shall call unto him. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that glad received the word were baptized, and there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, they needed to be baptized, just like every person today needs to be baptized and must be baptized before he's born again. And we can see then the importance of it. Actually, whenever the angel told Cornelius in Acts 11, chapter, verses 13 and 14, they'll send to Joppa and fetch one Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he'll tell thee words 
whereby thou must be saved thou and thy house. In other words, the person must hear the word of God. And he must obey the word of God in order to be born again. But let's note something else in uh, these two passages that mention regeneration. And that is that Jesus was to sit on his throne in the regeneration. In uh, Matthew 19 and verse 28, Jesus said, You that have followed me in the regeneration. Notice that, in the regeneration. When the Son of Man shall sit upon his throne, he shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, Jesus is on his throne now. He was raised to sit upon his throne. In Acts 2, beginning with verse 29, Whenever Peter said, May I speak in you freely concerning the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his sepulchre is with us in this day. Being therefore a prophet of God, and knowing that God has sworn one opening him, that by the fruits of his loins he has raised one up to sit upon his throne. In other words, Jesus was raised to sit upon the throne of uh, David. And uh, Jesus is on, uh, uh, I mean, in his throne is in heaven. And he, Psalm 11, chapter and verse 4. And Jesus said to ascend to heaven in order to receive the kingdom and in order to get on his throne, or in order to sit on his throne. And Daniel, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 13, Daniel said, And behold, I saw in the night vision, and I came one in the clouds of heaven like the Son of Man. And he came even in the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And I was given unto him glory, power, and dominion, that all the people's nations and all the people's languages to serve him. Their dominion was an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom that which should not be destroyed. Now then, <clears throat> Jesus is on his throne, and he's on his throne now, as we've already stated. John the Baptist and also Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 3 and verse 2. Read where that John the Baptist broke the silence of the Judean wilderness, as it were, preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in uh, Matthew 4 and verse 17, after Jesus had been baptized and after he'd been tempted, you remember that he preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent the seventh on the commission in Luke 10 and verse 9, he said to preach that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, the kingdom was nigh at that time. The apostle Paul was in the kingdom in uh, Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, He's translated this out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Not only did Paul say that he is in the kingdom, but the apostle John said that he was in the kingdom. In Revelation 1 and verse 9, John said, I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker with you in the tribulations and patience and kingdom that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, John was in the kingdom, and therefore the kingdom has been established, and we have the kingdom today. In Hebrews 12, chapter and verse 20, the Bible says, Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer up services well-pleasing unto God with, uh, with God that is. Not only is that true, but the kingdom was to be established during the days of the Roman king. In Daniel, the second chapter, we read where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And uh, Daniel had to uh, tell him his dream then and give him, them, give him the interpretation of it. And he said, Thou, O king, a source of great image, whose head was of gold, its arms and breasts of silver, its belly and thighs of brass, its legs iron, its feet part iron, and uh, part potter's clay. And thou sawest the stone hewn out not by hand, 
And it rolled down and it smote this image on its feet. And it was broken in pieces and was carried away as the chaff of the summer's flashing glow. Daniel then interpreted the dream. And he said, the head of gold represents the uh, Babylonian kingdom of which thou art king. But in thee should be another kingdom that should be inferior to the inasmuch as silver is inferior to gold. For in that kingdom will be another kingdom that should be inferior to that inasmuch as a brass is inferior to silver. That represented, of course, the, the uh, kingdom represented by the silver represented the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then there was the Alexandrian Empire, the Macedonian Empire. Following that kingdom was the Roman kingdom. It was a divided kingdom, partly strong and partly broken. And now in Daniel 2 and verse 44, the Bible says, And in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And so then the kingdom had to be set up during the days of the Roman king. If the kingdom of our Lord has not been set up, set up yet, as a premillennialist speaks, then it's too late. In other words, uh, they'd have to reorganize and reestablish the Roman Empire in order to establish the kingdom of our Lord. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 9 and verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you that some of you who stand here nearby shall not taste of death, till you see the kingdom come with power. Now, if we can find when the power came, we'll know when the kingdom came. Well, in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, Jesus received power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So if we can find when the Holy Ghost came, we'll know when the power came, and then we'll also know when the kingdom came. As we look then to Acts, the uh, first chapter, beginning with the last verse, verse 26, on down to about the fourth verse of the second chapter of Acts, it says, And Matthias was numbered with eleven apostles. And when the Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound as the rush of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now appearing them of cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Ghost came on Pentecost of Acts 2. And that's when the kingdom came. That's when the power came. And that's whenever the kingdom came because all of them came together. And that was a day then that the kingdom of our Lord was established. But let's note something else along this line. Jesus is on his throne now. And uh, he is going to uh, remain on his throne unto the end of the age of regeneration. In fact, uh, in First Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 22, Paul said, For Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each chapter is on order. Christ the first fruit, then they that are Christ is coming, then cometh the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father. In other words, uh, Jesus is on his throne now, and Jesus is reigning now. But there's something else that's important, and that is that Jesus promised the apostles' thrones in the regeneration. That's Matthew 19 and verse 28. He said, You that have followed me in the regeneration. When the Son of Man shall set upon his throne, you shall set upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Matthew, the 28th chapter and verse 20, Jesus promised the apostles, saying, Lo, I'll be with you always unto the end of the world. Well, now then, uh, what world is he talking about? The word world there is translated from the word aeon, which means age, and says, Lo, I'll be with you always 
unto the end of the age. Well, what age is it? Well, he tells us what age he's talking about back in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, All authority hath been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I be with you always, even unto the end of the world. In other words, it's the end of the age of regeneration, or the end of the age in which Jesus is reigning, and that is now. In other words, he's reigning now, and the, Jew, and, uh, the apostles are on the thrones now, and they're judging and ruling through that teaching and through the influence, and Jesus promised that he'd be with them unto the end of the world. The apostles said the keys of the kingdom. In Matthew 16 and verse 19, Jesus said to Peter that I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what shall thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what shall thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then in John 20 and verse 23, Jesus said, Whosoever send you retain, they'll retain, and whosoever send you forgive, they'll forgiven of them. The apostles were ambassadors of Christ. In First Corinthians, the fifth chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter in verse 20, the apostle Paul said, We're ambassadors. Therefore, on the behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us, we beseech you on the behalf of Christ to be ye reconciled unto God. In other words, they could speak with authority. And Jesus promised to be with them and then the world in that teaching and in their influence. And it doesn't, I, I will agree with anyone who may be quibbling on the word of that, the translated word, uh, uh, world, that it means age. There's no question about that. But what age is he talking about? He's talking about the age in which he's reigning. And therefore, that Jesus is going to reign till he comes again on the end of the regeneration. That's what he's talking about. And there's no question about it whatsoever. I'd like to hear refer to just a few doctrines that have been introduced, and some of them believed among us. And in uh, fact, we have had some preachers who apostatized, believing the doctrine of premillennialism. Well, now, the doctrine of premillennialism, first of all, it dethrones Christ. And second, it postpones the age of regeneration. In other words, if the doctrine of premillennialism is true, then a person cannot be born again in this life. He cannot be born again, as I say in this life, he cannot, let me change that, he cannot be born again until Jesus comes again and sets up his throne because that's the period of regeneration, according to that doctrine. I mean, uh, uh, the period of regeneration, the period in which he had reigned, would be the same. And uh, if he's not reigning now, then a person couldn't be born again now because they're both to be at the same time. And I think that we can see how foolish that, uh, that doctrine is. Now, preachers will preach that Jesus is going to come and set up his throne, uh, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he's going to reign there a thousand years, and then they'll go out here and they'll preach for people to be born again, to be regenerated. Well, why? Uh, he can't be regenerated until Jesus gets on his throne. And I think we can see that. And then there's another doctrine, and uh, some of the brethren who hold to this doctrine, they're good brethren. But I do want to make mention of it because I believe, in fact, I have run into this in three different states in holding gospel meetings. And that is that the uh, doctrine that the end of the world by Matthew 28, 20 has reference to the end of the Jewish age. 
Well, bless your heart, the Jewish age is already ended before Jesus gave the Great Commission. And uh, Hebrews 9, verse 26, Jesus said that, I mean, the, the Bible says that Jesus put away sin at the end of the world by the sacrifice of himself. Well, what were we talking about that? Talking about the end of the Jewish age. So it's already ended. And then in Colossians 2.14, the Bible says, uh, For he has brought it out, the bonds which were written in ordinance against us, which are contrary to us, having taken them out of the way, knitting them to cross. In other words, the, uh, Jesus gave the Great Commission after he had died on the cross. And the Bible says that the law ended whenever Christ uh, died on the cross. They held the reign of Christ and the period of regeneration ending before it uh, began. Kind of reminds me of the man who went into the uh, air terminal over Atlanta and uh, bought it, uh, asked them, what time does a plane leave for Birmingham? And they said, uh, uh, ten minutes after one. Uh, he said, what time does it rise? Ten minutes till one. He wasn't conscious that there was a time change uh, in between Atlanta and Birmingham. And I said, would you like to have a ticket? He said, no, but I want to stand back here and see that thing take off. So uh, now that's kind of the way the thieves bear their are. Now here's what they mean by it. And I'd like to point out some of the things, what they mean by it. They mean that it would end, at, I mean that the end of the world, is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 87. And they say that uh, that was the end of the Jewish doctrine. Well, that is the end where the uh, whole Jewish system was destroyed. There's no question about that. But Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is not talking about uh, uh, the uh, temple rule now. It's not talking about the civil government. It's talking about the spiritual reign of Christ. Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me both in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I be with you always, even in the world. I'd like to make mention of another quibble that they make here. They'll say that Jesus said, Lo, I be with you, talking about the apostles. Well, of course, uh, the word you that referring to the apostles. I think that I can make another argument and show the Great Commission is referring to all of us. In fact, it is. And uh, Jesus said to teach them, talking about those who are baptized, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I heard one of these brethren say that the Great Commission did not apply to us today. I don't believe a word of it. I believe that the Great Commission does apply to us. And brethren, don't uh, get the idea that what I'm telling you about is up in uh, Ohio because I've not been in Ohio. I found this in uh, uh, three other states. And one of the men said that uh, the Great Commission was not applicable to us. And he is a good preacher. We all recognize him as a good one. But I don't believe what he said about it. And the word you, of course, uh, that is it is the apostles. But Jesus was with the apostles in the regeneration while they were on the throne. Said, you that have fought me in the regeneration shall, uh, you that have fought me that, uh, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall set upon his throne, you shall set upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so they are ruling now, and Jesus is with them now, through their teaching and through their influence. And we have it here in uh, the Bible.
And Jesus is referring to exactly the same age in Matthew 28 and verse 20 as he is in Matthew 19 and verse 28. And we just might as well start meeting this now because if we don't meet it now, we're going to have to meet it later whenever we have more problems on it. And we don't have many now. And you know I haven't referred to any brethren either who are teaching it because of these brethren who are teaching it do not intend to dethrone Christ, and yet the conclusion of that doctrine does dethrone him because he is to reign during the period of regeneration, and that doctrine will automatically do it, and there's no way around it. They don't believe it. They don't even believe the doctrine is that. I remember I wrote an article in one of the papers, and I sent one of the brethren a copy of it, and he just said that I made some charges that were all false. Well, no, they were not false. And whenever he tried to reply to it, he made a, uh, did a miserable job trying to reply to it. He didn't answer them at all because they couldn't be answered. They could, at least I don't think they can. Somebody thinks they can, they can try it. I'd be glad to look at it. But then there's another doctrine that I'd like to make mention here, and that is the doctrine that one cannot be born again until the resurrection. That dethrones Christ. And that, too, the... Uh, destroys the regeneration. In other words, if a person is not born again until uh, uh, Christ comes again, then Jesus is not on his throne. Well, that's not the case. And so before closing the, this afternoon, any doctrine that dethrones Christ or destroys the doctrine of regeneration is, uh, is a false doctrine. And uh, the regeneration and uh, the reign of Christ is referring to exactly the same age. And in Matthew 19 and verse 28, when Jesus said, You that have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall set upon his throne, you shall set upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. They're the same time, and we need to keep that in mind. I thank you.